Pumpkin Creek, will you please pull out your card right now? I want you to see this. And I want you to know that the heart of Plum Creek from <clears throat> the very beginning has been that we would be a church that not just sees what we're capable of being part of and doing here in this community, that God has called us to be a church that cares about things like you've just seen on that screen on the other side of the world. That's who we are. And we've been partnering with Project Rescue since the very beginning of uh, Plum Creek's inception. My wife, Beth, this has been a, a topic that she cares very deeply about, and this partnership means very, very, we know these people personally. Um, the, the, the folks that you've seen on the screen, Beth Grant and Fiona, are dear friends of ours. Fiona has been here to this church and spoken here before, and she is legit the real deal. Last year, six of us from Plum Creek went to Spain to be able to walk with and talk with Fiona and her team and to go onto the streets and see where the girls are being trafficked and to see where the girls are being forced into prostitution. And I know when you see these kinds of stories on a screen, the first thing we're like, we don't want to know about this, right? Don't you wish that this was not even a reality? But then what happens inside of you is the same thing that happens inside of me. When we see a story like this, this is a true story, that, that, that this kind of thing is happening in our world today. There is something inside of me that just gets ticked off. And I know that we have a call on our lives to do something, and what we have a chance to do together will always so far surpass what any of us could do individually. And so very simply, one of the things that has become custom at Plum Creek is that every single Christmas, we do a very special offering above and beyond your normal giving, and we call it one day. It's simple. All I ask you to do is to sacrifice one day's worth of your salary. And here's our goal. Our goal is $225,000. Seems like a lot of money. Here's what I'll tell you. It's not enough. When you hear stories like this, and you know what we have a chance to be able to be part of. And so this year, a big part of our $225,000 that's going to come in, I believe God with all my heart for that, is going to go to help support Project Rescue. And this is what we're helping them do this year. We're going to help them produce videos just like this in several languages that can be taken to the northern tip of Africa to show to the girls that are getting ready to be trafficked. That's what we're going to do. And it's not going to be easy. And it's going to cost a lot of money to be able to do that. And we're going to help them. That's our commitment. We're like, tell us where we can help. And we have this idea, done. We're going to help. Last year, we helped them buy a house in Alicante, Spain, to be able to put the girls that have been trafficked. This year, we're going to help them with this and support their ministry. So here's what I want. It's not much. Ready? Here's what I want. Simple. 100% participation. That's all I want. Don't laugh at me. I'm believing for it because you see, when you see stuff like this that is real and you know we have a chance to be part of it, we all know we have to do something. And so what I want you to prayerfully consider is that you would just take one day, you do the math, you figure it out, one day's worth of your, one day, one day's worth of your annual salary and help us to be able to invest into ministries just like Project Rescue so that we can help them do the work that they're doing. Sound good? Bow your heads. Father, I am asking with boldness that you will move in every single person's heart and that you will help this to be expression of our generosity because we serve a generous God. You've done so much for us and, and this church has always been about irrational generosity. And if we're honest, one day salary is not even irrational. And so Lord, will you help us together to do more than we could ever do alone? I pray in the name of Jesus for Beth Grant 
the leadership of Project Rescue. Lord, I pray over Fiona today, our dear friend. I pray for her safety as she is fighting daily with the mafia in Spain. That you would protect her, that you would give her wisdom, that you would give her favor, and you would help them to be able to rescue as many girls as they possibly can. That they would have the hope that we've seen in the eyes of those girls that have been rescued and in our homes. And Lord, we pray that you'll do mighty things this Christmas through this church as we have an opportunity to be part of what you, you are doing all over the world. We love you, Father. Thank you for a chance to be part. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Thank you so much uh, for being here today. I wanna give a quick shout out to those that are worshiping with us online. Thank you for joining us and uh, excited that you can do that. I just wanna jump right into one of the passages that I wanna unpack today and I promise you this will be riveting. Are you ready? Matthew chapter one, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew chapter one, we're gonna start in verse one. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. And Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, for real? Is this what we're talking about today? Yes, we are. This is important. And I'll bet you when you've thought about um, taking a look at the Christmas story in your Bible, you thought, well, I'm gonna either jump to one of the two, right? Because we have four books that describe the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they start in different places and tell the story in different kind of ways. Two of the Gospels start with John the Baptist. Two of them start with the Christmas story that we're talking about. That would be Matthew and Luke. But Matthew does this interesting thing. And if you've ever read the story of Matthew's record of the first Christmas, you probably did this. Right? Because that's stuff that we don't really care about reading, right? We're like, this is just detail. We don't, get me to the story. Get me to the story. But if you do that, you really miss the story. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I'm sure you may be thinking right now, come on, Doug, are you serious? Hang with me. Method to the madness. How many of you would say that this is a time of the year where you feel like you've got all kinds of margin? Anybody? Like things are really good, you got it all handled, Christmas presents all bought, everything's wrapped, cookies are made, no more parties to go to, just like living the dream right now. Feel like that's the case? Well, we live in this such a fast-paced society that when the holidays come, it seems to just kind of magnify all of that even more, and we run at a faster pace and things are just nuts. Don't, wouldn't you say that? 14 years ago, when we were first getting this church started, I was speaking at a church in Utah, and the pastor had been a church planter before, and he knew something about what I was getting ready to head into that I didn't know, and that is that I was going to have to office anywhere and everywhere, because I didn't have an office. And so he took me down to the store, and he bought me a pair of noise-canceling headphones, these very headphones that I have, these are old school, a little bulky, I know. <clears throat> Perhaps I should be asking for some of those new sweet uh, Apple Pod Pros that are noise-canceling. They look pretty cool. But these are, these are mine. They're good. These are great. Going to a coffee shop, everybody goes away. It's awesome. Or you're on an airplane. There's a kid crying. Turn that thing on. Quiet. It's beautiful. This is what I want this series to be this year. Just a moment of some noise canceling. An opportunity for us to kind of block out the crazy of Christmas and have a chance together 
to focus in on what really matters. And before I head into what um, I want to share with you today, I need to ask this question as well. Is there anyone here in this room that is going to have to be traveling on an airplane on Christmas Day itself? Anybody? Raise your hand. Somebody? Over here? You. Lindsay, where are you? Here comes Lindsay. You get a pair of headphones today. They're noise canceling, yeah. Yeah. So if we don't do this, if we don't block out some of the crazy, it's just going to be way too easy to become distracted by the holiday and forget what this really is all about. And so I'm praying that that's what this series would do. So Matthew chooses to begin not with a story at all, but rather with the ancestry report, so to speak, of Jesus. It's interesting. So let me give you just a little bit of uh, history here, because there's a reason for that. Matthew is writing predominantly to Jewish people, and the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah of which Jesus said that he was. And so if Jesus was to be the Messiah, there was a very important question that needed to be answered because it had been prophesied that the Messiah would come from the line of King David. And so when Matthew was writing this gospel and talking about this Christmas story, what he was saying first is, before we go any further, I want to verify to you that Jesus is the Messiah that Jesus does come from the line of David. And so that is part of his heart, part of the reason why he's wanting to express the things that he was. And and if he was, he needed to be from, from this line, this ancestral line of the famous King David, and he confirms that. But he, he also goes a little bit further. Have you ever heard of historical bias? Anybody heard of that before? Where like, you know, it's like probably like watching the news, you know? It's like, so what happens is the reporting on what's happened, the reporting on the history of, and it always comes with a slant based on whoever's writing it. And, and it's even interesting that when you look back at the way that history was recorded back in this time and in this area and this day, typically what would happen is a leader, a military leader, a king or someone else or someone that had a lot of resource would pay someone to come and write their story so that their story would be, um, would be captured. But if you're paying the historian to write your story, you're also in charge of what gets to be written and what doesn't get to be written. So you can leave out your crazy uncle. And if you're a, a, you know, a military leader, you can leave out a couple of battles that maybe you lost, things didn't go as well as you wanted. Don't you wish you could have someone write a story like that about it? It's just all the good stuff. Just leave all the rest of it out, right? That was typically what happened during this time as they were recording history. And so it's interesting to me that um, when we're looking at what Matthew wrote, he definitely confirms that Jesus is from the line of David, but he doesn't stop there. You see, he goes just a little bit further. He could have, but he doesn't. He surprisingly includes some sordid history of the nation of Israel and of the ancestral line of King David. Things that likely could have been left out or maybe even more easily left out. And if you were a reader of Matthew's record of this first account of Jesus, it's likely if you'd have read that first chapter, those first few verses, you'd have kind of probably went like this. Did he need to say all that? Because it seems like we could have left that out. And so there's some stuff in this story. It kind of reminds me of uh, something that happened 15 years ago. My oldest son, Josh, is here, and uh, he was heading into fifth grade. And um, at a certain point in the course of his fifth grade year, I came home from work. I was a youth pastor at the time up in Fort Collins, and Beth said, honey, I need your help. I was like, okay, no problem. What's going on? She said, well, I just got this letter from the school, and uh, Josh has got uh, 
the talk in health class coming. I was like, oh, yeah, he does. I got it, babe. This is my specialty. I'm a youth guy. I got this. I know exactly what I needed, so I figured out my game plan. Josh and I went out for some ice cream, and I laid it on him. And I got to tell you, I feel like I should have written a book about how well I did. I felt like I did a good job. I felt proud of myself. And I got home, and Beth was like, how'd it go? I was like, baby, don't worry. I got this handled. Josh is ready for health class. So a couple days later, I got home from uh, work, and Josh is sitting on the couch, and I said, hey, bud, how'd that class go today? You were ready, weren't you? Because you heard from your old man first, didn't you? And he took this deep breath, and he looked at me like my dad used to look at me. And I could tell he was trying to figure out what he was going to say. And his mind was spinning. And he looked at me and he said, Dad. And there was this dramatic pause and eyes that pierced deep into my soul. And he said, you told me way too much. <laughs> yeah. Now, that is exactly what the readers of Matthew would have been saying when they read what he wrote about this story of Jesus being from the line of David. They were probably saying, geez, Matt, you took the little history class way too far. But I believe strongly that there was a strategic reason for this. In a, in a list of men, which again, I want you to hear me say this, in a list of men which customarily during this time period would have been all that's in a list of ancestral report, only the men. They would just say, which daddy begat who, who begat who, who begat who. Never would women be included in this. All of a sudden, Matthew includes the names of four women. This is a huge deal. Three of which it would have been much better to just lead, leave off because I'm going to tell you something. They're crazy. And the stories are nuts. It's like I'm talking TMZ crazy. Now I want to share a couple of those with you. So why highlight the failures why highlight these sinners, these women? Because Matthew knew from personal experience that it was for all of this brokenness that Jesus had actually come. He knew the story of Christmas is a story of light piercing the darkness, of life overcoming death, of grace obliterating the law, and of forgiveness overpowering condemnation. And how did Matthew know this? Because Matthew had experienced it himself firsthand. He was so passionate about this because this story had become his story. You see, he had experienced firsthand what it meant to be invited by Jesus when everybody else saw him as unworthy. So what I want you to see today is this amazing thread that runs throughout the history that we're reading today. It starts from the very beginning. And there's this thread that continues to run through the story of Jesus. And if we're gonna get some noise-canceling headphones on today, this is what we need to see. This is what we need to hear, that there is a redemptive story, there's a redemptive thread that runs all throughout the course of time. And it is life after life that has been touched and impacted by the redemptive thread that is just part of the heart of our God. And this, guys, is what Christmas is all about. And so what Matthew was saying is that, listen, I want to share with you some stories along the line of how this redemptive hand and heart of our God works. And then he's going to say, look, it continues all the way to my life. 
Matthew would say, I also have been changed by the redemptive heart of God. And then what you need to see is that it continues and it reaches still today into this room, into your life, in my life. This redemptive thread is real. And that's what we want to see today because here's my main thought for this weekend. Jesus's story is for me. With all this in mind, let's go back to those verses that we started with. And I think Josh is here. Josh was helping me over the last couple of weeks think through some of these details. So we've been emailing back and forth. And I want to read to you some of his thoughts and some of my thoughts about this story that we just read. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is the record of the ancestors of the Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. And as Matthew's getting started, what you need to see, that he records Jesus' genealogy where he needed to start off writing to this Jewish audience a place that a Jewish person would be concerned if you're gonna be in the line of David that you would start, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the patriarchs. You can kind of think of it this way, the Mount Rushmore of Jewish history. That's what he's talking about. It continues in verse two. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And then look at verse three. This is where it starts to take a turn. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, dun, dun, dun. Do you know the story of Tamar? Well, I'm not going to tell you today. You'll have to come back next week if you want to know about Tamar. Let me tell you, I said TMZ. Oh, for real. Tamar's crazy. You won't believe what happened in her life and how the redemptive thread of our God's heart for reconciliation and fresh start hits her life too. It's amazing. So Matthew bends way out of the way to mention Tamar. Not only is Tamar a woman, which again customarily has no place in this genealogy, but she's a reminder that the Jewish history has its fair share of lying and deceit and scandal. And we'll talk about that more next week. But Matthew doesn't stop here. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab was the father of Nahashan, and Nahashan was the father of Salmon, and Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Dun, dun, dun. Do you know who she was? Let me give you a test. You ready? Rahab the prostitute. The prostitute. Yes. Now, I need to stop here for a second because I was thinking about this. She's not even Jewish, right? She's a foreigner. And she gets into the scene and she's a prostitute. And so well, I want to prepare you one day for when you go to glory. Because she's known to us who know her story as Rahab the... Okay, just don't call her that when you get to heaven, okay? But I'll tell you, she'd probably be okay with it. Because you know what she would say? And that's why she's in the story, see? Oh, that's who I was. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm a girl with a past. But that's not who I am. And when we cancel out the noise of Christmas, guys, this is what Matthew says to pay attention to. Because this is the story of Christmas. It's about the way God cares about those that are marginalized, those with a past, those with a story, just like me and just like you. That's what we celebrate. All of a sudden, that passage that I started with, it 
doesn't seem so boring anymore, does it? It's a little spicy. (laughs) And Matthew wanted it that way because he wanted us to see, but we're not done yet. See, then he continues and look at verse five. Boaz was the father of Obed and his mother was Ruth and Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David and David was the father of Solomon whose mother was Bathsheba the widow of Uriah. And David now shows up on the list, which is where Matthew wanted to get to, right? He wanted us to know that Jesus is from the line of King David. King David is like the George Washington, the Teddy Roosevelt, and the Abraham Lincoln of the Jewish faith all wrapped into one. He's the man. He is the man. He symbolizes everything great about Israel. Military power. He's a musician. He's an artist a great king, and scripture even describes him as a man after God's own heart. And then Matthew just drops this, not so covertly even, drops the scandal in the story of David. And if you don't know that story, we're gonna hit it more in a couple of weeks. What we all needed to understand and what we all need to see is that Matthew's heart is this. Matthew's heart is this. He doesn't want us to miss it so much so that he would include the stuff that other people might have left out because he knows that not only was it what he experienced, but it's what others have experienced as well. And it's what you and I need to know. It's what we need to focus on. It's what we need to have our hearts connected to that this Jesus wasn't gonna be a Messiah like anyone else expected. That this redemptive thread that we see in the story of Jesus' family would continue when Jesus shows up here on earth. And again, here's what we see. His ministry is also all about this. And so he hangs out with those that are sick and those that are broken and those that are marginalized and demonized and he shows up for the prostitutes and he shows up to those that that feel like they're on the outside looking in that other people would kind of scowl at and look down on. Those are the people that we continue to see Jesus interacting with on purpose because this is what he's about and this is why Christmas happened because the redemptive thread needed to continue into the lives of those those that Jesus had interface with and it needs to extend today into this room too because his story, you see, becomes our story. That's exactly what happened to Matthew. The incredible news had changed his life. And so if you are reading in your Bibles or have your phones open to Matthew chapter one, I want you to swipe over right now real quick to Matthew chapter nine. Matthew's first encounter with Jesus took place in Capernaum on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had just crossed the lake and Jesus gets out of the boat and as he's walking out of the boat, some men bring their paralytic buddy to see Jesus. It's a great story. It's this again and I want you to see what happens. So they bring this paralytic guy to Jesus and Jesus, look what it says in Matthew chapter nine, verse two, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins, see, here's the thread, your sins are forgiven. Now we look at that story and we're like, wow, that is awesome. Unless you're the guy that's laying on the mat, right? Because that's not what you wanted Jesus to say. What'd you want him to say? Like be healed, right? Get up and walk. Oh, we'll get there, we'll get there. But see, what happens is there's kind of scandal surrounding Jesus now because he told this guy, redemptive thread is meeting his life too. Your sins can be forgiven. And so the religious elite at the time are looking at Jesus and they're like, whoa, dude, back down, blasphemy. How can you all of a sudden have authority to forgive someone of their sins? And I love when this happens in scripture, but it also scares me a little bit. I want you to see what he says. 
Matthew chapter nine, verse four, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Does that scare you a little bit? Because he knows what we're thinking too. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turns to the the paralyzed man who has now come face to face with this Messiah, this Jesus, this redemptive thread, and he picks up his mat and he walks. And what Jesus is doing is he's proving that he has authority to forgive sins by telling this guy to get up and walk, see? Because who can do that? It's a pretty amazing story. And uh, that's exactly what the guy did. I like to envision in my head that he skipped home. Because skipping, that just, when's the last time you tried to skip? Give it a try. And then Jesus said, the very next thing that happens, I mean, the very next thing that happens is that Jesus meets Matthew. Look at verse nine. Jesus was, that's the guy that we're talking about today that wrote this story. Jesus was walking along and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. And we've talked a little bit over the years about the uniqueness of the role of a tax collector, but what would happen is the Roman Empire needed money, right, to fund their big government. Sound familiar? And so what they would do is sell the rights at five-year increments to, to those in the community that could afford to do so to be tax collectors. And then they would have the right in a certain region to collect taxes, and collect taxes they did. But they also overcharged, and whatever they overcharged that was above and beyond the quota that they had to make, they could keep for themselves. And so they had taxes. The Romans imposed an income tax, a land tax, a wine tax, a grain tax, a fruit tax, a boundary tax, I don't even know what a boundary tax is, a road tax, a bridge tax, and harbor taxes, which many theologians would say, that is probably why after coming out of the boat, he ran into Matthew, who's there collecting some form of taxes, And so when Jesus has this first interaction with Matthew, um, he's in this interesting place because he's literally a licensed robber. These people were so corrupt, so corrupt, the tax collectors were, that they weren't even allowed to go to the church building because they were considered unclean. Honestly, Matthew was as bad as anyone else in the genealogy list that we read earlier. And the first time that he comes eyeball to eyeball with Jesus, He is sitting here in this uh, spot where he's collecting taxes at the custom house on a highway somewhere in this port city, stealing from his own people. He's not liked very well. And you need to be reminded too that at this point, Jesus already has a few disciples that are walking with him. He doesn't have the full crew yet. He's getting there, but he already has some. And so they would have been walking towards this spot where the tax collector sits, and I'm sure they had some bad jokes. Bad jokes about the tax collector guy. But before they could share any of their bad jokes, Jesus speaks first when they come up to this Matthew guy. Because you see, all of a sudden, we see the threat of redemption hitting Matthew's life too. And Jesus speaks to him. That's first of all crazy, but you've got to see what Jesus says because Jesus' story is for me. Everyone else hated him. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Or yeah, in, in my, 9, verse 9, Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. What? Scandal all over again. 
And I'm sure that Jesus' buddies that were already following him as disciples are now thinking, what just happened? I thought we were part of an elite crew of Jesus' hand-picked cool guys. And now we got a tax collector? I'm not even sure I can hang out with this crew anymore, right? But Jesus continues this story because it's so awesome. He kind of deserved to be hated, but Jesus invited him to be one of his guys because that's Jesus' deal. It's what he does. He takes the marginalized and he invites them to be part of his family. He invites them to experience and to know the redemptive thread that, he is, that he's passionate about us being able to see ourselves because Jesus' story is for me. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, Matthew got up and he followed him. Not to where they were expecting. Jesus is all in. And he's not done with the redemptive thread hitting tax collectors yet. So he goes to Matthew's house. Did your mom ever say this to you? Birds of a feather? Yeah, they do. So they end up at Matthew's house. And you know who's hanging with Matthew at Matthew's house? More tax collectors. Not only just tax collectors, you have to see what scripture says. Check this out. Um, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. All tax collectors and sinners. And when the Pharisees saw this, they're ticked off now. They're very angry that Jesus is hanging out with these kinds of people. And it says this in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Easy question. They just don't get it yet. Easy question. So he throws down the good news, and this is what I want your noise-canceling headphones to allow you to have time to think about this Christmas. This is it right here. I want you to see how Jesus responds. Block out the rest of the noise of Christmas, and this is what it's all about. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. And here it is. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Do you see, guys? Do you see? This is beautiful. All throughout the history of humanity, God has been at work. And it's his heart for us to experience and know his redemption. And the coolest part about this is that the past doesn't matter. Because he has a vision for who you can be in him. And instead of feeling like you're on the outside looking in, he invites you to be on the inside of the experience of the redemptive threat of God. That's what this is all about. That's what Christmas is about. So the real shocker to Matthew and the real shocker to the religious elite, and if we're honest, the real shocker to us sometimes is this. Being a sinner does not disqualify you from hanging out with Jesus. As a matter of fact, it qualifies you to. Isn't that awesome? That's the story of Christmas, and that's the story of redemption, and Jesus' story is for me, so please hear me. You need to block out the rest of the noise of Christmas, unless you're baking really good cookies while you're thinking about the redemptive threat of God. This is it. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Jesus came to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus' story is for me. So three years later, Matthew is now writing this story of Jesus' life. And now he's seen 
Jesus teach. He's heard what he's had to say. He's hung out with him. And after Jesus got done teaching, Matthew's in the small group and he gets to hear firsthand Jesus's heart for the marginalized and those on the outside. And he thinks back about his story and he knows that his story is also part of Jesus's story. And he's met the redemptive hand of God. He's seen the redemptive heart of God. And so as he sits to write Jesus's genealogy, he felt no pressure to somehow disclude the things that were scandalous because he was scandalous. He instead thought that just verifies the heart of who Jesus is. And so now I want you to see when I tell the story all the way back to the beginning, I'm not going to leave out the TMZ details because God is in those details. When his redemptive hand meets our lives, we're changed And Rahab the prostitute's not a prostitute anymore. She's been invited into an experienced relationship with God. God is inviting people who knew they were not all they should be to come near in spite of what they had done, but because of what Jesus had done. How about you? How do you see yourself? This Christmas, how do you feel? Do you feel like you're on the outside looking in a little bit? Can you hear me today? This is a beautiful story. And God loves us so much that he would send his son. And the work that he did on that cross reaches into this room today. And it can change your life too. Can you bow your head for a minute? Father, I thank you for your story. Because your story is for me. And it's changed my life. And I just pray in this moment, Lord, that you will, that you will in a very practical and in a very real way extend the thread of redemption into this room and into every single heart here today. And what's so beautiful about what Matthew has told us is that everybody has a story. Everybody has a past. Well, we even have a present. But what Matthew wants us to know today, and we need to pause and get those noise-canceling headphones on for just a second today to be reminded, to remember that Jesus came, that we could experience redemption, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. If you're here and you're in this room today and, and you would say, you know, Doug, I, I, I've never heard anybody talk about this this way. And, and I'm here today with a heart that, that needs to experience that redemptive thread in their life. I want Jesus' story to intersect with my story. That for so long, I felt like I was an outsider, an outsider looking in, that perhaps my story was too scandalous or too littered with failure. 
But instead today, it just makes me feel like I fit in. That I'm part of who Jesus cares about. And if that's you and you're here today, I promise you this Christmas can look different this year. Because in this moment, our incredible God is reaching towards you with the most incredible gift you've ever been extended to. And all you have to do is say yes and accept it. And if that's you and you're here today, would you just simply pray with me? Just simple, just simple. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for caring about me. Thank you for wanting your story to be my story. Thank you for that redemptive thread that today has a chance to change my life. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to give me a fresh start. I ask you to help me to understand what it means to live for you. That this Christmas would be different because I've been given the most incredible gift ever. And Lord, for the rest of us that are here today, this holiday season, help us to block out some of the noise and be reminded of the reason behind it all. That we would celebrate together the incredible heart of our God that cares for those that were broken and gives each and every one of us a chance to know, to know what it means to be forgiven and to have a fresh start. Lord, help us. Help us this Christmas to celebrate that way. It's in your name we pray.